welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection where faith meets reason right here on EWTN. I'm Doug Keck. I'm working the gate each week and your questions are so important to us. So we want to remind you to email them to us. Spitzer's Universe, basically one word, at EWTN.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's myriad websites. MagisCenter.com, CredibleCatholic.com, and PurposefulUniverse.com. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on EWTN On Demand's page. You can watch it anytime, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if that's what you're interested in doing. And check it out on our YouTube channel as well. It's available there. And of course, be sure to catch our own Father Joseph Mary Wolf special he did on St. Joseph the Worker. He does a great job, as always. It's also available now on our on-demand page. It's also premiering on the network as well. And we have two common defenses against evil. Did you know that? If you didn't, you'll find out, because we're going to be talking about that from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, available through our religious catalog, but we assume you have it already. And just wanted to mention a new book of the month for May by our great friend, Dr. Ray Garendi, the one and only Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration. Did a great interview with him. He's always a lot of fun and the book's very interesting. Now we turn to Father Spitzer, who's going to lead us in prayer. And we wanted to mention and maybe uh, think about somebody, mm -hmm. a, a great pro-life advocate, a person you've worked you with bet. in the past over the years, uh, Vicki Thorne, who was the founder of Project Rachel, a healing ministry. I know we have some pictures of her, yeah. her, her official picture. And also, I think there was a picture maybe we had of her when she was on Life on the Rock, but she was on uh, the network many times oh, yeah. and did fabulous work with Project Rachel. Did you did you work with Project Rachel, especially in your early days with the pro-life movement? Yeah, actually, I didn't work directly with them, but of course, we uh, were recommending them right. all the time. And uh, even in my brand new book, you know, I've got a, a section on Project right. Rachel because of the great work that they do uh, for those who really are grieving over past abortions and just need healing, uh, uh, spiritual and uh, emotional healing. Right. She died uh, on Tuesday, April 20th and was 72. And we just wanted to uh, yeah. acknowledge the passing of a pro-life warrior you, like that. So you, if you'd like to keep her bet. in your prayers, that'd be great, Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us. The blessing, too, of the pro-life movement that does so much to rectify this culture. And we ask you to please help good Vicki Thorne uh, in her life uh, that she dedicated to um, saving so many lives here on earth and helping so many people uh, who are grieving uh, past abortions. We ask uh, that she be um, offered a great peace and um, repose for her soul. We ask too that you send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day so that whatever we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. Through Jesus our Lord, amen. amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you for doing that, Father. Uh, let's oh, talk yeah. about a couple of interesting things that are out there. Uh, Cardinal Seurat has got a new book uh, coming out yeah. and an article in the register, which caught my eye, especially since the article was put together by uh, Father Paul Scalia, 
of uh, was a, a great mm -hmm. Catholic priest, been featured on the network, obviously yep. related to his dad from the Supreme Court. Yep. And he talks about uh, in this book, at the heart of the Catholic faith is the curious union of the gentle and the severe, of both domestic tranquility and spiritual combat. And he goes on, he says, think of the apparitions of our Blessed Mother. She always appears as a beautiful lady. But some of her first words are always bracing, penance, 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 to Bernadette. She warns the Fatima mm -hmm. children of pending war and even shows them hell. Our Lady is ever beautiful, gentle woman, but always stepping on the head of the snake. He goes on to say his proclamation of the kingdom, talking about our Lord, involves words of great mercy and compassion as well as severe rebukes and condemnations. And in this particular book, it seems that Cardinal Sarah is a deep man of faith uh, Sarah understands that the battle mm -hmm. is not primarily what we're dealing with today about policy or politics or even the culture. The battle is about the transcendent dignity and purpose of marriage, an institution from God and meant to be bring people to God, the institution that God entrusted to us as a template of salvation of the marriage between Christ and his church. Yeah, I would have to say that he's right on the marker. The family is the institution that the letter to the Ephesians says uh, is the building block for the church itself. And um, if the family goes uh, awry, if, we, if it loses its center as the religious and moral core of the identity and training of the children, the, the cement, the bond of one family to another family, if we lose this great core that brings together uh, not just uh, you know, the person with the culture, mm -hmm. but the person with religion and morality and the culture, then we're in deep trouble. And it's not just marriage that's needed. Needed, uh, for the um, the family to survive mm -hmm. it's also a culture of life as well and the church is the only one out there right mm -hmm. now that is really promoting both the culture of life the culture of marriage in a decent way that will allow the family to perdure and to be the hugely important training ground the very important ground through which the appropriation of morality and religion and decency and civility is going to occur. If the family is weakened, I think, again, we go mm -hmm. back to Thomas Hobbes, brutish, ugly, and short is near at hand. Mm -hmm. So I think Cardinal Seurat is absolutely correct. Right. And, and Father Scalia goes on to point out that the great spiritual battles, is based on uh, the Cardinal's book, are one in the little battles that couples and families fight so they can be places of prayer, forgiveness, communion, and love. Goes on to say, we are all mm -hmm. aware that the family is in the devil's crosshair, crosshairs and at the center yeah. of so much cultural decay. We are less aware that family is not defenseless, that the very living out of the truth of marriage and family is itself a powerful thing for the church and the world. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it has its networking effect. So if you've got really good families, they tend to network with other really good families. And these networks of families, they're sometimes the real bulwark of each and every parish. And uh, sometimes they're, you know, multi-parochial, uh, multi-parish, uh, you know, groups that, that really, you know, are the bulwark of many, many parishes as well, these networks of families. And so mm -hmm. you can just see how they really, uh, good families are 
uh, the building block. And, and you're right, it's not just, you know, the learning religion and learning uh, the, um, you know, the, 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 the different um, moral codes and things mm -hmm. that are important, but you do need that real experience of love, that real experience of love that communicates religion and morality in the right way. And you really do need uh, that experience of uh, self-sacrifice within a family, that experience of people doing, you know, the, the, the things that are, are decent and, and civil and honorable and where, where you pick mm -hmm. up not only morality, but you pick up the sense of nobility and honor as well. So all of these things, you can't just communicate them in a classroom. Mm -hmm. You really have to learn them, not just from the modeling that the you know that a good father and mother have but also that whole network of other families uh, that bring the very same modeling to bear and, and of course you know when people are raised in that they become the future leaders they become not just uh, future leaders in the you know in the in the cultural sense and uh, but also they become family leaders and the family leaders become school and educational leaders and church leaders and these things of course just have a multiplicative effect for the good of the culture and uh, for the good of salvation for the good of the kingdom of god and you don't have those families the kingdom of god and the culture uh, you know, as constituted on earth, it's going to be really severely hampered. Right, absolutely. Let's move on to another article. It's actually a reprint of an article from back in, uh, mm. I think, 04, but written by uh, oh. a really, a really good priest who I'm sure you must have known, Father Shaw. Over the years. Oh, Jim right. Shaw, a very Shaw. good friend of mine. Lived next door to him at Georgetown University right, for many right. years. Right, yeah, a, a great priest. And in this, he talks mm. about dialogue is never enough. And he talks about the idea that today the end of dialogue is truth now spelled out in the light of all feasible objections to it themselves manifested in the exchange. The knowledge of what is true includes the knowledge of what is not true. And really what he's coming at is sometimes the idea that people mm -hmm. use dialogue as a way to avoid the truth. Yeah, exactly, and uh, um, it's uh, again uh, one of the manifestations of Rogerian psychology kind of uh, taking over. We just want to be in dialogue with one another. We just want to have a relationship with one another. But it really doesn't matter, uh, you know, what we're talking about. It really doesn't matter whether we believe in a truth or not. It really doesn't matter whether our dialogue is supposed to get us closer to the truth with a capital T, which is God, and you know the G, the good with a capital G. Uh, you know, which is God. And so, of course, the idea then is, uh, uh, yeah, without uh, a real focus on truth and goodness, without a real focus on God who is truth and goodness par excellence, uh, without that, mm. uh, frankly, dialogue is a big waste of time, probably will wind up degenerating in uh, pulling each other down right. or just a big argument uh, unless we have that focus, that all-important focus on truth, goodness, and God. Yeah, he goes on to say, the contemporary church has in many ways committed itself to dialogue almost as if to imply that this format is its preferred way of proceeding rather than by statement and teaching of doctrinal truths. He goes on to quote Benedict XVI, who said, the tolerance mm -hmm. that admits God as if it were a private opinion but refuses him in the public domain. The reality of the world in our lives is not tolerance, but hypocrisy. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, if you're going to say I'm interested in dialogue, I'm interested in truth, but keep God out of it, mm -hmm. that's nothing more than sheer hypocrisy. You know, I, I, in other words, I can't talk about what I think uh, the truth is with a capital T. Uh, that's not part of the dialogue. Then, of course, that's as hypocritical as it comes. Dialogue's supposed to be very accepting and so forth and so on. So the idea, of course, yeah, it is hypocrisy, and it's the height of hypocrisy. So I'm, I agree with him. He's a wonderful man. Right. He also talked, there's also the World Parliament of Religion, a school of thought uh -huh. that wants to incorporate all religions, including particularly Catholicism, kind of political superchurch. This world yeah. organization, under the protection of the UN, will harness or pacify the disruptive <laughs> forces said to be found in religion of any species. Religion, as the ancient Epicureans taught, is useful to keep the masses busy, but at its best, it's a myth. Uh, and he goes yeah. on to say, Catholicism, remember, is not a religion, quote unquote, but a revelation. Religion is what men seek to offer to the gods, while revelation is bound by what is handed down. Its essence is loyalty to what is revealed. Yeah, what is revealed as truth. Right. So the idea is um, if you try to have a, a parliament of religions, the truth gets ushered right out, the, not only the back door, it gets ushered out of the front door. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, uh, the, the problem is you, you, once you go for trying to blend all religions together, you have to go to the lowest common denominator, the most generic terms in the world. You can't ever get any specificity. The moment you get the specificity, you're going to have disagreement. Mm -hmm. So we've got a real problem here uh, if we're trying to avoid disagreement by unity is the is the the primary thing that we're seeking instead of truth is the primary thing that we're think that we're seeking uh, immediately you're going to get into generic mm -hmm. and meaningless statements you know as they say an open mind uh, which is completely open mm -hmm. is empty-minded mm -hmm. and and uh, certainly that would be the case of the Parliament of religions mm -hmm. you'd have no specific doctrines whatsoever and since the devil is in the details so is grace. Grace is in the details. We need to get to the truth, the specific truth, mm -hmm. the specific truth which will orient us toward God and orient us toward our true selves, toward the truth with a capital T, good with a capital G, etc. That's what that's the only thing that'll get us there. Without specificity, with mere meaningless generalizations, with mere empty mindedness, what will that produce in the long mm -hmm. run? A mere nothing. Right. He says, in the end, it's not surprising that truth is rejected, not because it's illogical, but because it is the truth that does not allow what we want to be true. Well, there it is. I mean, uh, we want a convenient truth instead of a true truth. Mm. <laughs> so uh, that's the problem from the very beginning. And that's, of course, uh, uh, not just pragmatism, but it really is the feature of uh, hedonism, really, in a way. You know, I, I just want my strongest emotions fulfilled right now. Anything which corresponds to that and will help me to get there uh, is the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, this is all rele relegated to uh, sophistry by Plato. He just says, you know, listen, if you're going to sacrifice the truth uh, to getting to uh, whatever practical objective or emotional objective mm -hmm. or convenience that you want, um, you know, that's what the sophists do. That's mere sophistry. Right. And uh, so he says, that's not the truth. Uh, that's an illusion of the truth. Uh, all they want to do is persuade. All they want to do is get to the practical objective that will suit them the best. Right. With that said, let's move on to some of the questions people have sent us. Uh, here's one for you. 
Dear Father Spitzer, I'm reading a book that denounces universalism, which basically teaches everyone will eventually make it to heaven. The book cites Matthew 7, 14, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life and there are few who find it. Does this verse literally mean that few people get to heaven? Walter, so you've got on one side this universalism idea, which in theory mm -hmm. is everybody's going to be saved. And then you have other scriptures which would say mm -hmm. maybe yes, other scriptures mm -hmm. that seem to say no. What's your take? Mm -hmm. Well, universalism, first of all, everybody's going to be saved. That's just not true. Mm -hmm. And Jesus didn't teach anything like that at all. Uh, Jesus said, you know, people who want to be saved, people who do not want to cooperate with the evil spirit, people who want to follow my words will be saved. Mm -hmm. However, and you could come at the, the last possible moment and still be saved, though it might be really difficult to turn your life around from cultivated habits over a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Now, if let's suppose, though, that, that uh, you know, um, uh, that we accept uh, Jesus' view of who's going to be saved. Universalism is obviously going to be false right from the very beginning. So that is true. On the other hand, we take a look at uh, some of the interpretations of Matthew's passage there, that the road to, per to the way to perdition is broad and invites everybody in, but the, the road to salvation is much narrower and harder to get through. Mm -hmm. So what is um, you know, Matthew talking about there? What's Jesus talking about there in Matthew's gospel? Basically what Jesus is saying is the real truth of the matter is uh, it's so easy to get into a road to perdition. It's so easy to just become essentialist, to, you know, to become mm -hmm. a hedonist. It's so easy to become an egocentric, narcissistic. I'm, it's all about me and everybody out of the way uh, while I get mm -hmm. my self-fulfillment. It's easy to go down that road. It's huge. It's accepting. It offers so many things superficially. The devil is right there at the entryway mm -hmm. escort you right on in. Waving you right along, you right? <laughs> yeah, or moving you right along, giving you all the great yeah. encouragement that you need, as St. Ignatius of Loyola would say. However, all that being uh, said, can a person turn off the road to perdition? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, for all intents and purposes, um, you know, the, the idea for, for him is to get to... Um, uh, you know, listen to the Holy Spirit who is saying to us, hey, this is not working, mm -hmm. right? You know, you guys, you, you know, uh, th this is going to lead to death. So the Holy Spirit is, what is he doing? He's, you know, kind of pinching you and poking you mm -hmm. and getting to your conscience and trying to you know, give you feelings of emptiness and alienation and loneliness and guilt. And then people feel that emptiness. They feel their separation from God writ large. And because of that, they go, wait a minute, something's missing. Missing. And that's when people all of a sudden turn around and hopefully not before they've gotten too far down the road to perdition, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is we don't want them going too far down that road before all of a sudden they wake up and go, I got to get off this road. So this is not going nowhere. And that's what we call, you know, your mm -hmm. typical, you know, conversion uh, story. Right. And so a lot of people, you know, let's face it, uh, half the people that go down to the, uh, the road to perdition wind up eventually going to church. 
church. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they turn around, they convert. And the reason they do is because it really, they find the road to perdition is a seduction. It right. doesn't go anywhere good. There is emptiness, alienation, and loneliness when you separate yourself. Uh, there really is from your creator. There really is uh, objective uh, goodness and objective truth. And, I've, and Jesus Christ embraced it, and I've got to find right. it and follow it. I need a church to help me to get off that road. So all of a sudden, you can see these people are going down that road, and, and they wake up. Maybe they've had a nightmare. Maybe they've had a sudden realization. Maybe somebody says something. Maybe divine mm -hmm. providence has kind of, uh, you know, put in a conspiracy, which has gotten them, you know, you know, figuring this thing out. Or maybe it's just the blunt experience of emptiness, alienation, mm -hmm. loneliness, dread, and fear, and guilt. All these things, and the person suddenly turns around in a big, huge perspiration, phew, you know, and, and just says, I got to get out of here. But where do I go? Go to the church. Go back to the church. Go back to the sacraments. Go back to confession. Get out of it, or whatever the, the, the case may be. Mm -hmm. But the point is, you got to get off that road. And so then, of course, now you're going to have to get on a narrower road. Once you get off the road to perdition, that's half the battle. Now you got to get back on that narrow, go through that narrower gate. You got to go through the gate of the church, the gate of Jesus Christ's teaching, mm -hmm. the gate of the sacraments, the gate of being consistent with your prayer, the gate of trying to follow Jesus' teaching in your life. That's mm -hmm. a harder gate. It's a narrower gate. So it's not really, um, that That statement is not about numbers. It's not about how many people are going to be saved and how many people are not going to be saved. You can't interpret it that way. What Jesus really is trying to say is, this: the road to perdition is easy to get on. you got to get off it. The road to salvation is hard, is harder because you know it's got you know you got to follow these these uh, these truths of Jesus that might not be what you want to do. You've got to also have some discipline about prayer and the sacraments. You're going to have to also lead other people to that same kind of uh, life. So the the idea would be is yeah that's a tougher road to uh, to go down. Right. But if you go down, you will find life, and you will not find the darkness and the emptiness and alienation on the big broad road right. that the devil is escorting you on. Well, I think, uh, if I recall, in uh, one of Sister Faustina's visions, she sees mm -hmm. two groups of people on the road. One is doing quite well, and they're looking at it great in every place else, and except that's going yeah. to hell. And uh, yeah. the other one are these people, and they're stumbling, and they're falling, and they're, you know, yeah. suffering and doing that. But that's the road that's actually going to heaven. And, and even thinking yeah. about the idea with roads, you've got the early church, uh, you know, the they, they called about it. It was called the, the way. way, right? So you would mm -hmm. think in terms, literally the way, meaning literally yeah. this road, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and the, that's the way they they phrased it. And, of course, the way is, it's got its, uh, you know, tough, you know, demands. But remember, mm -hmm. there's uh, along that narrow way, even though we stumble a lot in trying to move uh, toward a greater and greater purification of our goodness and love and mm -hmm. following of Jesus, even though it's, we're going to fail a lot, even though we're going to have, have a lot of, you know, difficulties, mm -hmm. there's always forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. We just get back on the road. We go back to the sacrament of reconciliation. We keep trying to follow the teaching of Jesus. We keep on it. Um, there's always these graces of confession and the Holy Eucharist and church, the church community, all of these things which help us out. So even though they're stumbling, 
There's graces always on the road to overcome the stumbling, but we got to keep proceeding. It's so easy to get off the road, so easy to just say, oh, just this one time. And part of the narrow road, you know, the, the, the you know, to, you got to be so careful and vigilant and, and hmm. you know, really, really, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, f having that fortitude to stay uh, on the road because if you start rationalizing, you just go, hey, I'll just do this, I'll just do that. You could get right off the road and then rationalize yourself right. getting back on the road to perdition. And you don't even and know you got off it. Rig. That's that's the problem. Yeah. A lot of times you don't yeah. realize until it's almost too late. Yep, yep. So say, stick how'd with I end the... up over? How do I end up over here? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. That's where I thought exactly. I was going. <laughs> exactly. And, now here's a question from a person following up from an answer, uh, and mm -hmm. we can clarify this. Dear Father Spitzer, on a recent show you discussed the difference in the words of Christ, blood poured out for all versus poured out for the many, which gets discussed yeah. at times. I understand the linguistic yeah. argument of the Greek and the Hebrew, but I thought I heard you say that your private opinion is that all will be saved in the end, whether they are in heaven, purgatory, or hell. Did I hear that right? And this is Wessel. No. Nope. He didn't hear it right, but we wanted to no. at least clarify. No, didn't right. say anything like that. Don't believe anything like that. So, yeah, I don't think uh, all will be saved in the end at all, and I don't think that's commensurate. Uh, what Jesus is teaching. So if I, if I even implied it obliquely, mm -hmm. I certainly didn't intend to. I mean, it's completely the opposite of my view. But I do think mm -hmm. that Jesus, when he was on the cross, intended that it be for everyone. Mm -hmm. But then again, what Jesus says is, here I'm giving you this salvation. Mm -hmm. I intend that it's for everyone. But you're going to have to follow me. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to follow my teaching. You know, you have to, you know, move uh, into the church community mm -hmm. and try to, you know, uh, avail yourself of the graces that I've provided through that church community and, and follow the teaching, the interpretation um, that I'm giving through that church community. You've got to do that with my grace, and then the uh, salvation that I intend for all, that will be yours individually, and of course, hopefully, you'll lead other people right. to it uh, as well. Well, it just strikes me um, from a simple idea of thinking, I'm um, the parable of the sower itself. Yeah. I mean, everybody yep. didn't get the seed, and it didn't just grow and uh, multiply and yep. be fine by the end of the day. It didn't work that way. That's right. Exactly. There were a lot of people, as Jesus says, let the seed get swallowed up by the devil almost instantaneously, mm -hmm. falls on the path. Mm -hmm. And there's the seed that, of course, gets, um, you know, strangled because it's, it's uh, you know, concerned with this, that, and the other thing, uh, you know, that's going on in the world. And let's call those the weeds mm -hmm. and uh, the thorns. And so it gets, uh, you know, tangled right. up in the weeds and thorns, and it, it gets suffocated by all those other concerns. And then there's the one that just very shallow, right? Mm. At first, you know, the seed goes into you. You look at it and you go, this is fantastic, mm. but no perseverance, no vigilance. And without perseverance and vigilance, right, that seed is not going to get the deep soil that it needs so that it can produce yeah, no fruits, 30 right. Uh, right, 30, 80, and 100 fold. Right, absolutely.
Next up, dear Father Spitzer, a friend of mine recently found out she has two distinct sets of DNA. Her doctor told her this is a very rare case. Could have occurred if her mother released two eggs that were fertilized by two different fathers. At the same point in development, one of the fertilized eggs may have died, but some of the DNA was absorbed in the other egg. She has since been concerned about how this affects her eternal life. Does she huh? literally have two souls from the two conceptions housed no. within her single body? And this is Dorothy, and I'm assuming no, but we... No, no. Uh, yeah, poor Dorothy. Okay, Dorothy, tell your poor friend there. No, first of all, the biological constituencies of our DNA makeup are, do not correspond one-to-one -one with the existence of a soul. Okay. So that's the first thing. So you can have some DNA particles, you know, um, molecules or DNA uh, you know, amplified polymorphs that can be there present uh, that don't necessarily belong to the, you know, the mother's egg that was predominant uh, in you, um, in your biological mm -hmm. constituency. So that doesn't give you two souls at all. God could, right. you know, God actually is the creator of the soul, uh, it, you know, independently of the genome. So once you're, you know, the egg and the sperm mm -hmm. have united and they're developing as a single uh, celled zygote going forward, right? God, you know, gives that uh, from the moment of fertilization. God himself bestows the transphysical soul, which can only be bestowed on uh, him because he's the transphysical cause. The biology, the DNA is a physical cause, but the transphysical soul is given by him to that person, even if it should have some um, polymorphs, some, mm -hmm. some uh, molecules that are, um, you know, uh, shared from another mm -hmm. DNA, um, uh, from right. another egg that would have another uh, DNA um, a constituency. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, you know, don't worry about it at all is the case. And of course, it's not going to affect your salvation. Right. And you certainly don't have two souls. Well, you certainly, <laughs> Annie, just simply in the idea, if you if you can't control it and you aren't responsible for it, how can you be held yeah. accountable for well, it? Well, that, that too. Right. I mean, that certainly uh, is true. Even if you did have two souls, how would you have control? But you don't have two souls. You don't. So no. there's nothing right. to worry about. Right. So right. the Lord's not going to hold that against you. With that, we're going to take no. a break. Much more ahead with Father Spitzer, your questions and our topic on the devil. Stay with us. Welcome back to part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. Two common defenses against evil is what we're talking about from Father's wonderful book, Christ versus Satan, in our daily lives. And of course, I have to mention that because all of his books are so wonderful and are all available through the EWTN Religious Catalog. Naturally, let's get to another question here before we get to the book. Dear Father Spitzer, mm -hmm. recently a New Jersey school system introduced school children to a website that, among other things, normalizes pornography. Oh, wonderful. They tell the students it is okay because everyone watches it. Boy, that sounds like when I was a kid. We cannot afford oh. a Catholic school, nor do we feel comfortable with homeschooling. How does a parent fight against the things taught in schools today? Lisa. Yeah. You, Lisa, 
go first of all to your school board but go with all your friends so find all your like-minded parent friends and get together with them and plan a strategy there are a couple of very good websites to go on uh, that will help you to work the school board and how to work the school board and i'm just uh, i um i don't have the websites on the top of my head but i will come up with them in my next show um, and, and, and tell you what they are, but they actually will give you all kinds of hints. I know that the lady who um, is doing this, uh, she wrote a book called uh, something like Exit Now or something, mm -hmm. or Get Out okay. Now was the name of her book about public schools, uh, but uh, you can make a change um, in, in those school boards and parents are now doing this. I mean, there's a movement going on all over the country where parents are now <clears throat> going to the um, to school boards and saying, <clears throat> I don't want transgenderism being taught to my children who are under five, you know, uh, under the fifth grade. I don't want, uh, you know, uh, alternative uh, sexual modalities to be taught right. to my students who are not even in high school, etc. So they are actually uh, putting together some really effective campaign, effective campaigns that are working very well so get together with your friends that's the first thing second thing get the information on how to do this right before you go down to the school board school board um, public school boards <clears throat> have to allow parents to have a voice in them and so you can go to those school board meetings and when you do right. just have your agenda with you just have your tactics with you and do it the right way so I think that's the, probably the best way to go. Uh, but yes, you can have a big, big influence right. and fight back. And as my producer's reminding us that uh, the book Get Out Now is by Mary Hassan, uh, who wrote the particular yeah. book. And uh, she's actually yeah. going to be doing a miniseries uh, dealing with this whole thing based on, as you recall, the wonderful talk she gave at the Napa Institute last year. I yes. asked her last year yes. to do that because I thought it was terrific. And uh, so oh, she's yeah. going to be working on that. So people can look forward yeah, to that. A sharp, very sharp person. Right. No question about it. Right. She has a wonderful husband. Also had a, a great father, uh, Professor yes. Rice, of course. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Late Professor Rice, who was uh, a well-known here, well <laughs> here on EWTN for having done a couple of series with us and being oh, on a yeah. board for a while uh, as well. Oh, great. Uh, so uh, let me ask you one question. You're, you're an educator sure. and, uh, you know, one time, you know, people have a, a, a job to do and usually you say, well, we're doing such a good thing with this job. Now we're going to, we can actually do other things. But it seems like we're dealing in the school systems in the United States where they're off doing things that nobody ever thought they were supposed to be working on. Meanwhile, the things they're mm -hmm. supposed to be doing are, are, are being done horribly. Yeah, no, that's right. And uh, again, it's, uh, if the parents don't hold the school boards responsible, then they, they're going to just keep acting as irresponsibly as that, you know, <laughs> indefinitely. So I think the one thing we really do have to do is get activist parents going. Mm -hmm. But don't do it individually. Get together with your friends. Get a really well worked out uh, strategy um, that other parents are using very, very effectively in their school boards. But I think you can do this um, very, very effectively. And the more parents and groups of parents that are fighting back, the better it's going to be. I think we can take back 
a lot of our public schools. It's already happening. I mean, what right. was going on with all those parents organizations, uh, you know, in Florida? I, I thought it was great. Right. You know, the school boards are objecting to, yeah. um, you know, Governor DeSantis's, uh, uh, you know, uh, ruling. And they went down to their school board and said, we like his ruling. Right. Right. To, you know, get, you know. Including uh, most is, Democrats. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because when it comes to your board. kids, that's where you cross yeah. the line. Exactly. And uh, you're right, actually. Half the, half the people, the, the moms and dads that were objecting, were Democratic. So it right. was great. Right. So, it I just mean, seems like we've yeah. got the Jerry Springerism uh, of society or something with all the yeah. oddest things in the world suddenly are acted like, well, this is how everybody's got to be or this has all got to be acceptable. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, in fact, uh, uh, you know, the idea that uh, uh, every form of conduct, no matter how bizarre it might be, uh, you, know, er, you know, without even studying the emotional impact mm -hmm. on these conducts before recommending them uh, in order to be, uh, you know, open-minded, you know, you really have to look at, you know, I mean, I, as I said, my new book coming out in fall mm -hmm. from Ignatius is The Moral Wisdom. Of the Catholic Church, and it is very clear mm -hmm. uh, from all these studies that I have put together, mm -hmm. 40 pages of bibliography of studies, it's very clear that the, um, uh, you know, the things that Jesus uh, disqualified and called sinful, mm -hmm. these things have hugely negative impacts on emotional life and emotional health from vastly increasing suicide rates, you know, five, six, seven times higher suicide rates, depression rates, anxiety rates, panic attack rates, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. major psychiatric disorder rates, et cetera. I mean, you look at it and of course the effects on relational uh, health as well mm -hmm. and, and, and marital health as well. You know, the idea that cohabitation is good for marriage could hardly, you know, be more opposite than what really happens. The longer you cohabitate, uh, you know, the, the more dissatisfaction you have in your upcoming marriage and the shorter the, uh, the, the, uh, the marriage uh, longevity. So, yeah. I mean, it's just like, what are we talking about here? Everything, you have to study the impacts on what really matters. What matters is your emotional health, your spiritual health, your relational health, and your marital and familial health. And right. if everything's a down negative, that pretty good idea that Jesus is teaching, whether it be on homosexual lifestyle, whether it be transgenderism, whatever it may be, that's a pretty good teaching. Right. And so that's at least the uh, the operative but thing as that, that should be. Right, but as that article uh, from Father Shaw puts out, if it's not the answer yeah. I want, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, then uh, then I'm going to shun it or say that you right. are closed-minded or uh, or, or you're a bigot worse. or something else. A bigot, There'll be some ad hominem attack over why Absolutely. what you're saying doesn't need to be paid attention to. Here's another question, dear Father Spitzer. Jesus said it would be better for someone to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around their neck than for them to lead the little ones to sin. Speaking of the last question. Does this apply only to children, or could it also apply to priests, bishops, or even secular Catholic leaders who promote false teaching, leading others to sin? Don. Don, it applies to, you know, me in the front line, and bishops mm -hmm. too, and everybody else. But, you know, what Jesus is saying there is we have a responsibility not only uh, to ourselves, we can't be leading other people 
uh, into sin, helping them. You know, we're, we're, you know, the minute you start justifying sinful things to people and opening that door, who are you cooperating with? Not with God. You're cooperating with mm -hmm. the evil spirit, as Jesus, you know, says, uh, um, mm -hmm. you know, very, very clearly. And and it's not just the evil spirit you're cooperating with. You're leading that person right into the clutches of that evil spirit. You're leading them into a life, like providing them the rationalization so that they they move away from Jesus and God mm -hmm. into the clutches of the evil spirit. And so that's why. Jesus says, you know, these are little ones. They're precious to me. What are you doing? Mm. You know, who do you think you are? You use your talents. You use your intellect. You use the gifts that you've been given by God, whether they be acting talents, rhetorical talent, whatever it is. You're going to use them to undermine my definition of love. You're going to use it to undermine my definition of good. You're going to use this to actually lead people or justify hedonism and, and you know, an autonomous view of freedom. Freedom. You're going to use this to, to alienate, alienate people from me, from the Creator. If you do that, better for you. You are threatening their eternal life. You are cooperating with the evil spirit. You are literally opening the door to a whole life of, of just damaged emotional health, let alone damaged spiritual health. Mm -hmm. and, and, and of course, damaging to all the relationships that you have and damage to the culture. Yeah, of course, mm -hmm. better than a millstone be tied around your right. neck. And that's why he, he, what he's trying to say is this is so serious, you know, leading people, you know, into sin, you know, leading mm. them away from my teaching, you know, to, you know, people do it, you know, like, oh, what, what can it hurt? You know, whoa, what can it hurt? Mm. You know, just the minute you start hearing that stuff, you know, it's my line to my mom. <laughs> mom, what could possibly go wrong? You know, my mom, I could think of a hundred things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yeah. Fill yeah, in the blank. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, let's let's move on to two common defenses against evil from your book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily yeah. Lives. Top of page 200. You talk about the fact, and you mentioned this earlier, uh, in the past couple of weeks, that evil mm -hmm. spirits must work within the confines of human freedom. They cannot overwhelm, yeah. suppress, or destroy human freedom because that would make a human being into a robot and capable of being responsible for his actions. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's the case, how come so many of us don't stand up to the devil very well? Well, because uh, I think there's three major reasons. Uh, number one, we fall away from the church. Now, if we fall away from the church, we fall away from that teaching which is so vital, and we fall away from the sacraments in the community that help us through grace and through the support of other people uh, to maintain our you know, Christian uh, commitments and so forth. So the first thing is, is falling away from the church, the minute you do that, you tie both arms behind your back and you're now trying to fight uh, the evil spirit. You're trying to, to stay away from him. He's got you coming, he's got you going. And that's the first thing. The second mm. thing is, is there's so much uh, deception out there from the culture. The culture is justifying all eight of the deadly sins. I mean, makes, you know, Gordon Gecko in Wall Street, you know, look like nobody, you know. You know, gentlemen, greed, for lack of a better term, is good, et cetera. We, you know, we can see that lust is being justified 
as healthy, you know, just in every single website you can possibly right. imagine. You can see that that greed and materialism, you know, in a huge scale is being justified as a very good and healthy thing. What could be wrong with pride and vanity? You're just to have self-esteem. You're just taking, you know, honest pride in what you've done and with yourself. Of course you got to stick yourself into the center of everybody's reality and not only be God for yourself, but God for everybody else. What could be better? Go ahead. You could just hear the devil's voice echoing through all these rationalizations. But the point is the culture is truly uh, you know putting out these deceptions as fast as they can go and now the deceptions are given that you know new kind of leverage through Instagram Facebook mm -hmm. Twitter whatever you know TikTok, TikTok right. I mean etc all these things are beginning to uh, you know put even more pressure on kids to believe this falsity uh, you know about what the good is, what love is, what maturity is, what freedom is, and so forth. Uh, they're they're being fed of uh, you know fed a bill of goods, and they're believing it because they're seeing it. Uh, you know they're on there with the social media, and propag uh, propagated not only by the traditional media now, but by their own friends in the social media, mm -hmm. and that of course sells a lot of things. So people are really happy with that. And of course the the third thing that that is going on is is I think not just beyond uh, the the departure from religion and, and from uh, you know from the uh, the social media and and the culture itself, but I think there is a loss of morality, just plain good old morality that is given to us by our conscience. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not saying that the psychological establishment or Rogerian psychology in particular is responsible. There's lots of factors responsible, but there's a lot of people that now are taking seriously that old Shakespearean adage, you know, conscience makes cowards of us all, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're basically trying now to say that that was meant in seriousness, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, we ought to skip following our conscience, you know, or if conscience is just that Freudian uh, sort of superego, et cetera, et cetera, and they're basically writing off conscience and the guilt and uh, the nobility that conscience gives us, you know, God's voice speaking to us. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, honestly, a lot of, you know, kids, uh, they kind of don't even know what we learned in third grade, you know, from Jiminy Cricket, you know, mm -hmm. let your conscience be your guide. I mean, they don't even have that level of awareness of their own conscience. And so we've, we've got a problem. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, right. it's huge. The devil has done his homework. He has definitely, you know, undermined religion and God. He's definitely undermined, um, you know, morality and conscience. And he's definitely got hold of the, uh, the culture and the social media and all of the sophistries and backward kinds of dark philosophies. He's got it all mm. fed right into that whole system of media that is pretty much... Uh, uh, perpetuating it uh, and on a grand level. So I, I think, yeah, this is the, these three things are uh, they're real terrible dangers. But we we have to get our kids out of it. Get back to God. Right. Get back to conscience. And don't trust the culture. Right. In 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 the section here, brief explanation of human freedom and. Uh, 
tie into what you were talking about with mm -hmm. Instagram and all of those things yeah. about the options, the childhood fundamental options, and the one being the option to aggrandize ourselves and to possess others in the material world. Certainly, that this kind of self-aggrandizement is clearly what's going on. Oh, and especially in uh, in Facebook, Instagram, etc. That you know, people can't help but take a selfie every five minutes, right. and you know, and if uh, you know, quick, get in front of a celebrity so I can take the the selfie with the celebrity or in front of the Taj Mahal or whatever it is. You know, uh, uh, you know, drinking the best champagne, riding in the best car, whatever. That's me. Mm. You know, and so all of a sudden now, vanity has become. You know the key word, but vanity is so empty. Mm -hmm. And you know, vanity means you know passes away. It's it just literally uh, so superficial uh, that it just just uh, passes away. But at the same time, all of these surface appearances that have no depth in goodness or love, that have no depth right. in Jesus or God, all of these things are sort of uh, toted out there as being something that uh, is good and will make you a winner, will make you successful in the eyes of others. But if you have no substance, what does it matter? You know, bella figura, but dentro non c'è niente. Mm. You, know, you have a, a beautiful outside figure, mm. but inside there's nothing. Right. So, I mean, you know, just... Uh, Whitewashed sepulchers, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Whitewashed stones, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, too, because what so many people don't realize is that while well, you're taking your selfie, they're all taking selfies of themselves, too. And they're w worrying about posting theirs to see how many people yeah. look at theirs, not worrying yeah. about how many people <laughs> yeah. look at yours, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no question about it. The culture has definitely been swayed. I mean, uh, people are being so manipulated by it. And in fact, they're, they don't even recognize that the behavior they're showing shows how manipulated they are to the extent that they have to post every five seconds mm -hmm. and take a selfie every five minutes. You know, it just shows you that, you know, the degree to which they've become a lemming and, and you right. know, the, the degree to which they don't have any depth beyond that Facebook account, you know, or, or now I guess Instagram, TikTok, right. whatever. And they got to make sure they use a filter because to make sure yeah, it's... Yeah, exactly. Make you know, sure you look good. Right, yeah, right. Change yeah, a little of those facial blemishes. Right, even you know, get that, uh, if softer that's appearance. not reality. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. You, and you talk about here on page uh, 201 at the top, the choice of self-definition. How does somebody choose self-definition? Well, you know, uh, basically the, the kids are being told that you, you basically have to define yourself. The trouble is they don't tell you any sources mm -hmm. uh, through which to, to get that self-definition or how to make a choice among sources for self-definition. So instead of saying, hey, you probably ought to choose some sources that are pervasive, enduring, and deep, you ought to choose some sources that are going to you know, get you closer to the truth, to goodness, to love, to beauty, to home, and to God. You, you don't want to just choose sources of self-definition 
definition that are utterly superficial, utterly sinful, utterly self-destructive. Well, I mean, what do you want to do that for? Mm -hmm. I mean, so at the end of your life, you can just say, wow, I was really a success at superficial self-definition. <laughs> I was really a success at self-destructive self-definition. And I was really a success at self-definition that led me to destroy other people's lives. Mm -hmm. I was a total success, the best at it. I mean, you know, it's like, holy mackerel, mm -hmm. there's no context anymore. So, uh, uh, you know, the idea would be choose the right sources. God is a good starting point for the right source. Your conscience is a good starting point for the right source. And of course, the teachings of, uh, you know, revelation um, of God, self-revelation, like uh, from Jesus Christ is a good, you know, uh, source. If you're going to avoid superficiality, if you're going to avoid self-destructiveness, if you're going to avoid other destructiveness, if you're going to avoid uh, a life that is a complete negation of love or a negation of truth or a negation of goodness or a negation of, of, of beauty, of community, uh, etc., if you're going to choose the right source, you got to start with some kind of criteria. And my recommendation is start first with God, religion. Start first with conscience. Start, you know, first with the things you know will get mm -hmm. you uh, to, um, you know, non-superficiality that will in the end get you to goodness and love and have done so for 2,000 years. Why would you neglect? you know, the 2,000 year solution to the lives of not just so many saints, but so many unheralded saints, to so many of the people that constructed the world. Mm -hmm. Do you think they were really a bunch of, of uh, utilitarians? Do you think that the people who put together the dynamic systems of justice and rights, the dynamic systems of social order, that put together the Marshall Plan, who put together whatever might have been that has led to a better world, do you think they were without religion? Guess again. You better take a look at what, what their beliefs and their patterns were, where they began. Yeah, these people were fundamentally religious people. They were fundamentally good people. I go back to my oft-quoted uh, citation from John Adams, right? Hey, uh, the constitutional form of government that we have presumes that you have a moral and religious people. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a moral and religious people, well, the very freedoms that were given in the Constitution will surely be, you know, uh, what will uh, undermine us and destroy us. Now, of course, I paraphrase that, mm -hmm. but, you know, John Adams uh, says it in a much pithier way, but it's the same thing. Right. We need our conscience. We need religion. We need our moral bearings. Otherwise, we will surely destroy ourselves, mire ourselves into superficiality, and wind up at the end of the day with Hobbes's brutish, ugly, and short. Right, which is why we're not a democracy and we're a representative republic. And people who yeah. worry about minorities mm -hmm. all the time but then espouse this mm -hmm. kind of mobism when it comes to, well, the majority has to be able to rule. Mm -hmm. Well, the whole idea is that we have this moral sense because we don't want 51% of the population enslaving the 49%. That's right, the tyranny of the majority. And that's why the whole notion of inalienable rights, which, by the way, 
uh, John Locke borrowed from Hugo Grotius, and Hugo Grotius borrowed from Francisco Suarez, the Catholic Jesuit priest, right? The idea is, well, why is that so important? Because if somebody has inalienable rights within them that belong to them by their very creation and creator and by, uh, you know, by uh, natural law, by, you know, instead of by a stated law, mm -hmm. uh, right, that, that uh, could be determined by the majority, then if you have an inalienable right, it uh, doesn't matter what yeah. the majority says. The majority can't pass a law that says Doug Keck and Bob Spitzer don't have any more a right to life, any more right to liberty, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, of course, these things stand above and beyond. And indeed, all positive laws, even those determined by a majority, a plebiscite within the nation, they have to support inalienable right. rights. But again, of course, we see in the Roe versus Wade decision, there's a complete right. ignoring of those inalienable rights. And of course, in the Dred Scott decision, which uh, the Supreme Court unanimously approved of slavery of uh, um, black people, right. all of that was an ignoring and of again, the inalienable rights. Perfect, of perfect example people. of using positive when it's really a negative. So with that being said, yep. we are going to have to wrap up this show and ask for your blessing oh, on the way out the door, good. Father. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of consolation, of wisdom, and goodness, and perfection of truth, and beauty, and goodness, and love, may that God invade and batter your hearts and our hearts so that we might together pursue him in the honesty and authenticity of love taught by his son, interpreted by his church, and given to us through the grace of the sacraments in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall see you next week. And reminder about Father Spitzer's books available through our religious catalog. Next week, our show topic will continue on with Human Freedom. The bookmark this weekend, my interview with Lawrence Maginot on the Marian Manifesto. Of course, it's May. It's the month of Our Lady. And, of course, we've got EW10 live guest, our good friend Deacon Harold Burke Sivers discussing life as service as a deacon tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern with re-airs throughout the week. And don't forget, EWTN Live, like so many of our other wonderful programs, are available on demand on YouTube and on our on-demand page as well. And with that said, we shall see you next week. Thanks.